This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. Are you managing an art collection or an artist studio or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and you can use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and so much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com today to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. We appreciate you tuning in for our special end of year episode, which is always one of our favorites. Before we get into all of that, I just want to take a moment and say thank you to you, the audience. It was really a special and unique year. Perhaps it was people at home during the pandemic, but we received more outreach from our listeners than ever before. For those that I spoke with, it was really nice meeting you and hope we can actually meet in person soon. And for anyone else listening, please don't ever hesitate to reach out if you want to chat with us about the art markets or you have any questions or feedback. It was a record-setting year in terms of the number of downloads and listens to the podcast. For our listeners who have been here since the beginning, it's been an amazing journey. We can't thank you enough. And to any new listeners who have recently joined, we really appreciate your support as well. It's you, the audience, that makes this entire thing worthwhile. The entire point of this podcast is to be able to chat with insiders about the art market, about the art world, and share those conversations with you. So we can't thank you enough. Hope you have a relaxing holiday season and a happy new year, and we're looking forward to some amazing episodes already scheduled for 2021. So it's really great news that the COVID vaccine is beginning to be distributed across the world. What does that mean for the art world? Well, no one's quite sure yet. No one knows really when things like art fairs will be able to resume. I think there's a growing consensus that people are hopeful for late next year, but No one's really certain, of course. In the meantime, galleries and museums hover between being open and closed, and it really comes down to what are the latest restrictions in each geography. For example, in New York City, currently galleries and museums are open. However, there are likely increased restrictions upcoming that could result in temporary closures. Meanwhile, I just actually received an email this morning about a museum in London that's now forced to temporarily close. We'll continue to monitor all of this, but hopefully galleries and museums are open. that are open will stay open, and those that are closed are able to reopen in the very near future. What can we say? 2020 was definitely a sad and unusual year. On the podcast, we have a tradition where we have an end-of-the-year episode each year where we recap the art market and the art world with a guest. Given the pandemic this year, that really is, of course, the storyline of the year. How could it not be and how it impacted the art world? There were a lot of furloughs, a few gallery closures, museums suffered, artists took a hit as well. On the positive side, the art world was incredibly resilient and there were a lot of high notes this year despite the pandemic. So we touch on all of these themes in our annual end of the year episode. This year we're joined by Nate Freeman, senior art business reporter at Artnet. So we hope you enjoyed the episode and thanks so much again for listening.
Nate, it's great having you on the podcast for this special end of the year episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Adam, Adam, it's so great to come on. You know, I've been on a number of times now. It's always such a great pleasure to chat. Definitely. We always appreciate having you on and hearing your insights. So, of course, it's our pleasure. So this is always an episode that I enjoy, the end of the year episode where we recap the year in a lot of ways. Certainly this year was a very unusual one, to say the least. But to start off, in your mind, what are a few of the top storylines of the art market over the past year? Well, like you said, it was the most unusual year, so it's hard to think of any storyline that would top dealing with the global pandemic. I mean, every industry, of course, had to deal with that, uh, and the art market did as well. Uh, And so to look at it through that lens, you know, much of what we saw as the backbone of the art market, art fairs, auctions, gallery shows, they were all postponed for the bulk of the year for the first time ever. Um, And so that just, you know, complete reshuffling of the deck led to a number of new storylines. You know, um, you had just an incredible amount of resilience among the art market to continue in its, in its, you know, sort of path, whether that meant, you know, creating these online viewing rooms for fairs and galleries or uh, conducting, you know, video uh, studio visits um, and just, you know, selling a lot of work over PDF. The art market was able to, you know, function somewhat, you know, uh, uh, resiliently through, one of the most disruptive events in, in a century. Uh, that being said, um, you know, auction sales are down uh, a remarkable amount uh, from a year ago. And I think the same can be said for, you know, the amount of work that's being sold uh, through an art fair. We saw last week, two weeks ago, uh, at the Art Basel Miami Beach online viewing room, the biggest sale of the week was in the 2.5 million range. Usually you have a work that sells for about 10 to 15 million at our Basel Miami Beach, uh, 2.5 million is a little low. So the top storyline was, yes, we were dealing with a global pandemic. Everything was completely different than, you know, what was a year ago. And a lot of people were struggling, um, uh, or at least not selling as much as they were used to. But at the same time, you know, some people found a way. They found a way to connect with new artists. They found a way to, um, you know, find uh, people to buy work they were offering at auction. They found a way to, you know, have a facsimile of a gallery opening experience at a time when, for a lot of people, that wasn't really possible. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I agree. I think the resiliency of the art world is the storyline of the year, whether it's leveraging technology or social media, and just the fact that galleries, museums, auction houses... Most of these have now reopened in so many cities across the world. And when I think about New York City, where we're both located, it's pretty amazing to think about the fact that the art world is actually at the forefront of the reopening of the city. I never would have thought it would be the case, but when you think about it, galleries and museums, for example, are not only back open, but they're actually hosting really fantastic exhibitions that people are incredibly excited to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, even though... Indoor dining is shut down. You can still go to art galleries in New York. You can still go to museums. Um, you know that might not be the case for forever, but right now you can, you know, experience almost any, uh, you know, art activity that you'd like to, which is which is incredible. And that has been the case since July for a lot of places. Exactly. 
And so if we look back at 2020 and think about who are some of the biggest winners of the year, and by that I mean thinking about artists and their markets, who comes to your mind when you think about some of the biggest winners of the past year? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, even in this topsy-turvy, complete, uh, you know, unexpected year, 2020, there are a number of artists that, that I think really had a great uh, year, you know. They, there are a lot of artists who are poised um, for success in 2020 because of, you know, moves that, that they made or, or momentum they had going into the year. Um, and they were just, you know, really set up for market success. But there were other artists who people discovered who really, you know, uh, were able to make a lot of work in their studio during lockdown um, that really excited collectors when they were finally able to see it uh, come uh, the fall. And, you know, some of those artists that come to mind in terms of the sort of the, the former group, you know, there were a number of younger artists who were picked up by larger mega galleries, um, you know, in the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, who had some really spectacular shows um, or, you know, presentations uh, in 2020 that really just established them as, as just, you know, powerhouses that we're going to be dealing with for, for years. And I'm thinking of someone like Avery Singer, who was signed by Hauser and Worth uh, the end of last year. This year, right at the top of 2020, she had a sold-out solo booth at Free's Los Angeles that was one of the highlights of the fair. And, you know, Hauser has very ably sold her work to very prominent private collections and institutions for very high prices at these online viewing rooms. And uh, the same goes for, for someone like Nicholas Hardy, who also signed with Hauser and Worth. You've seen his works, you know, increase in, in, in uh, value on the secondary market, of course, through auction, but also, you know, the prices went up on the primary market when he was added by Hauser. Still, very easy, uh, you know, sell for, for a lot of dealers because he's just such an in-demand artist, and he, he was going through this very strange year. So artists like that had no problem finding willing buyers, you know. And then there's also, you think of an artist like Harold Enkart, who had his first show at David's Runner's New York space. They were just fantastically large, quite, um, you know, expensive uh, works that, that, that found buyers who were able to go see the work in person as galleries started to reopen in September. Um, and there was, you know, instant connection between the people who just hadn't been able to, to see work in so long and these magnificent, large landscape paintings that Harold has done. Another example I think of is uh, Titus Kapar in Gojin. Um, he's an artist who's been sort of percolating up for years. He has his incredible Next Haven uh, incubator space. It's really just a sort of mini art market unto itself uh, up in New Haven, Connecticut. And Titus had a magnificent first show at Gagosian that opened in the fall. And, you know, uh, because of that momentum, you see his work selling at auction for higher and higher prices. So those are artists that I think had a spectacular 2020 uh, in terms of just really cementing their, uh, you know, blue chip status. But at the same time, you know, there were younger artists who uh, broke out at auction, who had, you know, their first solo shows at, at big galleries, you know, uh, that, you know, are really set up very well going into 2021, uh, regardless of what the art market landscape is, you know. You saw, you know, records break for artists like Simone Lee, uh, you know, a sculptor who, who uh, really had an incredible breakout year in 2020. Um, someone like Amawaka Boafo, who I wrote uh, a lot of uh, 
profile of, uh, had a really incredible year that started with a record-breaking market auction in February. Um, you know, and then you have, uh, you know, artists like Matthew Wong, who unfortunately is no longer with us, um, but his market is, you know, is, is going to really incredible places and their painting and selling for just really spectacular figures. And, uh, you know, None of that was hampered at all by the pandemic. These are artists that have a clear uh, appeal to collectors, and they will get them by any means necessary. They don't need to see them in person. Uh, you know, a lot of times they can just see a PDF, or they can see you know a quick little video tour in the studio, and they'll buy them. Uh, and these artists have spectacular years. Uh, uh, so, so I think that's a sort of sampling of, of, of artists. I think you know just can come out of this very strange year very happy. It really is incredible to see how strong several artists performed in 2020, despite being in the midst of a global pandemic. And on the other side of the coin, if we think about who are some of the biggest losers of 2020, if you don't want to identify specific artists, well, if you do, that's absolutely fine. But if you don't, <laughs> maybe there were certain segments of the market or types of artists that were softer than others. Yeah, I mean... It's not that I'm scared of name names, uh, Adam, necessarily. <laughs> it's, just, it's not really fair to a lot of artists to, you know, uh, of course. really just say, like, oh, like they had a terrible year. Because, you know, a lot of people had a terrible year, um, not just in our sector, in every sector. And like you said, there was a softening in the market. You know, there were some artists that did very well. But, you know, across the board, sales were down at, at the auction. Sales were down at the fairs. Sales were down at galleries. Um, so I, I think that the artists that were hit the hardest uh, just on a general sense, uh, you know, are the ones that maybe have a experiential component to their work, or conceptual artists that just don't translate uh, that well, you know, over, you know, PDF or OVR. Because as you said, like, yes, um, you know, people who are like back in New York starting in July or April, you know, we had a good chunk of the year to see uh, gallery shows and, uh, in person. But there's a large population of collectors who are, you know, somewhat older and uh, stayed in their, you know, country homes or, you know, just stayed out of the city. And they were not going to gallery. They were not in the city and they were not able to see uh, work that really only hits in person. Um, and, you know, I, I think that you and I and some of the listeners know which artists that, that we're talking about here. But it's just so much easier to sell a painting, especially a figurative painting, over the internet um, than it is to sell sculpture or, uh, you know, especially sort of a conceptual kind of uh, sculpture um, kind of work. And uh, so I, I think that it's fair to say that, that work like that kind of suffered because it wasn't really translatable to the group of people who, you know, are still, you know, buying a lot of art, but which I mean, you know, somewhat elderly collectors and museum board members. That makes perfect sense. And hopefully that all comes back when more people start seeing art in person again. And I think that actually ties in nicely to my next question, which is what trends in art define the year in 2020? Well, you know, for the last few years, we've been seeing a, a trend away from the uh, sort of uh, giddy uh, abstractions that were being made by young artists uh, in the start of the decade. Uh, you know, my, my colleague Walter Robinson dubbed them the zombie formalists. Um, and so while that's been out of style for a few years now, um, there really seems to 
everyone sort of coalesced around its replacement, which is sort of, uh, you know, stark, brightly colored, figurative works. Um, you know, and, and uh, a real presence emerged from that are, are African and African American artists who are making really vivid, exciting, um, you know, figurative painting. Uh, that that is just it's something that we've seen for a few years now. But I think, um, you know, for instance, Amawaka Wawaka, who I mentioned earlier, is making these works that are just like really they they have an incredible amount of wall power. And even if some critics or uh, museum curators don't necessarily see its art historical importance at this moment, collectors adore them because they really just pop off the wall and uh, they just, you know, they sear. They, I just saw a new one that Beth DeWoody bought and put in her uh, private museum called The Bunker in West Palm Beach. And, and I just thought it was spectacular. Um, and so that's been, you know, sort of coalescing for a few years now. But I think that even in this time when a lot of people couldn't go to galleries, uh, it became uh, even more of a trend. You know, you saw even just this week, you know, you know, I was like Alex Gardner, who uh, had previously shown at uh, the Hole, a small but important gallery on uh, the Bowery here in New York, um, you know, selling for $170,000 at auction way higher than the highest in the 30,000, which is a surprise for a lot of people, except when you look at the work, it's it's very similar to, you know, uh, these other African and African-American uh, artists who are depicting African and African-Americans uh, in really uh, discreet, beautiful, gorgeous tones. And um, I, I think that that's something that we're not, uh, you know, that the market will, will want more of. It's, it's, it's in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's very welcome because, you know, uh, there should be more of a place for, for artists, you know, who are, are representing, uh, you know, not just, uh, you know, a part of the world, a part of the population, um, but also depicting them in the work, you know. So it's it's better than, you know, old or young white dudes just making the same kinds of abstractions, in my opinion. <laughs> I I agree. So looking back at the museum and gallery shows that did take place in person in 2020, did you have a few favorite exhibitions of the year? Well, Adam, this is a tough one, and I'm I'm, I'm going to answer kind of sideways just because uh, I got I got to give it to you straight. I didn't see a lot of stuff. You know, I I you know in the beginning of the year in New York in uh, January, I was you know, kind of not sure of my responsibilities necessarily, but there was a lot of stuff I didn't get to see. And in February, I was in Mexico City. I was in Los Angeles. And even there, I didn't get to see everything. You know, by the time lockdown came, I just was really, really regretting not being able to see everything that I wanted, that I, that I could have in those first two and a half months. Um, and I tried to take advantage of it as much as possible when I got back to New York, but still, it was not quite as easy as usual. But I'm going to attempt to answer your question just for the sake of this. Um, so some shows that I really, really love, I love the Noah Davis show at Davis Warner. It was up uh, at the beginning of the year. It's a spectacular survey of an artist who was gone way too uh, soon. Helen Moles was put together. I mean, I, I think that it's gotten praise from a number of people uh, apart from me. Um, but just fantastic. I love the Art Club 2000 show at Artist Space, which is still up and is kind of a must-see. Uh, it kind of just, you know, 
crystallizes a, a moment that that was nostalgic before it even existed. It it, it was this truly uh, flash in the pan, um, you know, unimportant for unimportant sake, uh, boy bandish art collective that that should not have had the influence that it did, but it really did in this survey that was put together by uh, staff motorspace is really something to behold. Um, a few other shows, I, I love Madeline Hollander's show that opened at Portolami Gallery earlier this year. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I was, you know, very fortunate to be one of the first people to go back to the Met when they reopened. They had a, a press day. Um, I think it was in August. And um, I was able to see the Met for, you know, the first time in months, but also be one of the first people uh, back in the Met and Watch, which is really um, a unsettling and just just kind of uncanny experience um, because it's a place that I know like the back of my hand, but never in that sort of moment. And so obviously the greatest collection of the world uh, has its fair share of treasures, but what really hit me the hardest was the Florence Stedheimer uh, group of four paintings, the Cathedrals of Art, uh, because it was just Florian Steinheimer's vision of New York City, her exuberance for the city, uh, is so just, you know, on full blast in those paintings. And to see them in the Met after being exiled from the city, because I was in the Catskills for a long time, and uh, being exiled from museums in general was a truly uh, fierce emotional experience. And, um, I think that, that it could affect anyone the same way. They are just some of the most incredible, uh, joyful paintings in that entire museum. So I think that that's going to have to do for my favorite shows of the year. Not really a conventional list, exactly. But uh, I think you picked some good ones. And I think a lot of people's favorite exhibition of the year was just the first one they saw after museums and galleries finally reopened after the start of, of the pandemic. I've spoken to a lot of people who've recounted very meaningful experiences seeing art again for the first time in a long time, whether it was the Met, for me it happened to be the Whitney, whatever, wherever it was, I think it also put a nice refresh in people's minds who've gotten so used to absorbing artworks on their phone, on Instagram, rather than in person. But yeah, I mean, I think those experiences were the most meaningful of the year to so many people. Yeah, memorable and emotional. Uh, for for Lois, I I also do want to uh, mention uh, the, the Sven Sockcyber show that was up at Ramekin in Brooklyn uh, over the summer. Not just because it was a fantastic show, but also because we lost Sven uh, last week, and he was a miraculous, really really great artist and a good friend. So I wanted to just you know put it in remembrance of Sven. Of course, I'm so sorry for your loss. And so as we look ahead to 2021 thought we'd have a little fun with this and ask you to share with us a bold prediction you might have for next year for the art market. So we won't be calling you back on the podcast towards the end of 2021 to see if it came true or not, but share with us a bold prediction for the art market for next year. Huh. I mean, a bold prediction, something like that, like a Gogosian's Werner merger or something. I mean, like that, like, that, is that too bold? <laughs> that's that's quite bold. I like it. That's very bold. Um, I don't quite think that's going to happen. Um, 
but you know, I, I think there will be some major shakeups uh, in the uh, the gallery circuit that aren't really possible to predict right now. I mean, a year ago, I couldn't have predicted Gavin Brown closing and joining Barbara Gladstone. In fact, I could barely believe it when I broke that story. So couldn't couldn't think it was real. Uh, but I do think that just given uh, the way in which the, the gallery, the global art circuit, the gallery circuit is proliferated, and the way in which uh, artist representation has become kind of more diffused, we're going to see some uh, major dealers closing their shops and, and probably taking jobs at, at bigger ones because it's, it's going to make more sense in our world with a little bit less travel or, you know, for at least part of next year, a lot less travel. Uh, and uh, less of a, a globe hopping kind of uh, approach to how things are done. Again, I wish I had some you know, uh, specific issues there, um, but I think that that's generally going to be happening. You know, and maybe this is a bold, but I think it's going to be a great year for the market. I think the economy is going to come back pretty strong once the vaccine really gets in there. I think uh, uh, a lot of, you know, Wall Street is very cocky on Joe Biden. Um, as everyone should be. Uh, and I, I think that with this sort of, you know, uh, you know, thrill of coming out of uh, this terrible pandemic, I mean, I don't think we'll be out of it for you know, at least nine months, possibly longer. But when that happens, there's going to be a rush of good feeling. There's going to be a rush of spending. I think that's, that's always fair for the art market. I like it. Ending on a high note. Nate, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast to help us recap 2020. It's certainly a year we'll never forget, and despite the pandemic, there were a lot of bright spots in the art world this past year, and we appreciate you coming on to highlight some of them with us. Adam, it's always a pleasure. I will come on whenever you want me to. We appreciate it. Nate, have a happy holidays and a happy new year. See you in 2021. Be blessed. Thanks so much to Artbase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase lets you track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data just once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.